Welcome to Detroit Today on WDET 101.9 FM. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You know, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that we spent much of last summer here on Detroit Today exploring the ways that housing insecurity drives poverty. Think about that, that when people lose their homes, even if they are on the other side of the poverty line, that loss of their home can make them find themselves quickly falling into financial quicksand. It makes things worse. And people lose their homes, of course, for all kinds of reasons here in Southeast Michigan. It could be they didn't pay rent for some months. It could be that their landlords don't like the fact that they have kids or that their landlords didn't pay taxes. Or it could be that they can no longer afford the heavy tax burden that comes with property ownership here in the city of Detroit. There is no lack of stories right here in and around Metro Detroit. And we found that during last year's book club, where we had uh, everyone in this community who wanted to read the book Evicted by Matthew Desmond. And we discussed in every corner of this region the way in which the stories in that book, which is about housing insecurity in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we talked about how they reflect here in Southeast Michigan, the many, many different ways that we still really grapple with housing insecurity. The good news is that there has been some progress on a couple of fronts since that conversation, and we want to continue that conversation, hear about those updates, as well as talk about what might be next. And we have the two most perfect guests I can think of here in Southeast Michigan to help lead that discussion. Ted Phillips is the executive director of United Community Housing Coalition. Ted, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Good to be here. Great Great to see you. Also with us is Michelle Oberholzer. She is director of United Community Housing Coalition's Tax Foreclosure Prevention Project. Michelle, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Good morning. So something we found when we reported on these issues in the fall were efforts to guarantee that tenants who face eviction had access to legal counsel in eviction proceedings, or uh, as the issue is called, right to counsel. And we learned that there are similar efforts here in Detroit that we've seen in some other jurisdictions. Ted, can you give us an update on where we are with this right to counsel issue? Sure. There's an effort. We had a, a conference a week or so ago uh, to bring together some folks from New York and Philadelphia and Cleveland and various other places. Uh, and we're pushing uh, with uh, Michigan Legal Services and Lakeshore Legal Aid uh, to try to get similar uh, action here. Uh, it seems like the city administration is very interested. City Council, uh, uh, Council Member Mary uh, Sheffield has been drafting an ordinance. Uh, so there is a lot of, of work underway to, to try to get that here. Right now, what we have here is about uh, 4% of all the tenants who go into 36 District Court, the Detroit Eviction Court, of the 30,000 cases that are, that are filed there each year, about 4% get representation and about 85 to 90% of landlords are represented. And that's a, a great disparity and it, it results in uh, a lot of evictions that are unnecessary, uh, people losing their housing, losing their subsidies, uh, facing homelessness, and in many instances, uh, in, in situations where that can be like uh, long-term, long-term homelessness. So, so let's pause here and talk about how important it is to have someone represent you in court when you are there for eviction. That's not standard. It's not. It's not uh, like many other uh, criminal proceedings or or, or uh, court proceedings where you are guaranteed uh, a, a right to a lawyer. Talk about the difference, though, 
that that attorney can make when they're when they're there with you? There's a lot of differences I can make because it's important to understand what happens now. Uh, right now, there's 200 to 300 cases a day, usually in the mornings, uh, that are that are uh, up for hearing in 36 district court for evictions. Uh, hearings can be as little as a minute to two minutes or so. Uh, when people don't understand their rights, they don't know what's necessary to be raised in court. Uh, by having an attorney, you can kind of step back a little bit, at least know what your rights are, if there's repair issues, if there's notices that haven't been given, uh, a lot of different kinds of things, and particularly in subsidized housing cases where there's additional federal laws that, uh, that guarantee rights for the tenants. So there's a lot that can be done uh, if you have an attorney. Uh, and even if there's no legal issues in cases, uh, very often, you know, landlords don't necessarily just want to evict somebody, lose all their money, and, and pay the eviction costs. So when there's an attorney involved, very often you can uh, negotiate settlements that benefit both sides. Uh, and, even if, and even if you can't do that, by having an attorney, you're generally able to, to connect uh, the client up with other kinds of services. There's really three things that are necessary to keep people from being evicted. One is having uh, litigation help, an attorney available. Second is having help getting relocation when you can't stay there. And the third is being able to get some financial support. Uh, and by having an attorney, our program does all of those uh, to some degree. And by having an attorney, whether it's us or any other or- organization, you're going to get a better connection with those kinds of things. Yeah, uh, you, you guys had a day-long symposium on this issue a few weeks ago that I got to attend just a brief part of. Uh, I'm curious what you think came out of that exercise. There were a lot of people uh, present at that symposium who have – the ability to make some things move in our community on on this issue. What was your takeaway from uh, from that day? Well, there were folks from the city that were there, uh, city administration and, and city council, uh, and there was a commitment there to working on this issue. Uh, there were people there from the court that uh, were committed to um, uh, providing what, what assistance they can. There were foundations there. I thank you for being there to, to kick us off in the morning. That was a great presentation you made. Uh, but I think there's a lot of folks that were there that uh, gave a face to the problem, uh, gave some answers that are happening elsewhere. We had people from New York and Philadelphia showing how this saved money, say, actually saved money by the city providing attorneys because then you had less costs for homelessness. You had, because there was less homelessness, you had uh, less – and in Detroit, you would have less blight in a sense that – and the city recognized that uh, in their presentation – uh, that this leads to vacant homes and that leads to blight. So there was a lot of a lot of good uh, discussion there, and we're looking forward to to moving forward with the city uh, to seeing if this can be if we can roll out a plan that uh, where we can offer uh, assistance to anyone at probably not everyone, but anyone at, at probably 200 percent or less of the poverty level, which mm-hmm. is the bulk of overwhelming majority of the people going through the tenants going through the uh, eviction court. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Michelle, we can't talk about housing insecurity here in Southeast Michigan without talking about tax foreclosures here in Wayne County, a huge, huge driver of housing insecurity. Uh, catch us up where with where we are on that issue. Uh, it is tax foreclosure season here. In, it's uh, always tax foreclosure <laughs> season. <laughs> it seems like it never ends. Um, but this is the time that people are starting to really get notices that uh, – they are behind and that the county intends to foreclose on them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of joking and I'm not. It, it does feel like it's always tax foreclosure season in Detroit because this is a cyc- cyclical process. Mm-hmm. You know, we have 
tens of thousands of properties that receive notice that they're subject to foreclosure every year. Uh, I think right now we have 24,000. Let me see. I'm sorry, I don't have that number. We have many thousands of occupied homes that are facing foreclosure. It's always tens of thousands. Yes. And fortunately, you know, that number pairs down from the point that the notice goes out to the actual foreclosure. But that sort of um, belies the main point, which is that this is still at crisis levels. It's still epidemic. And it's a mutually destructive process. You know, someone loses their home. They may be evicted or it will end up becoming blighted. We spend 20000 to demolish it. We lose a family. We lose a neighborhood. And um, that crumbles down the, the community infrastructure even further. So um, at the Housing Coalition, we see thousands of people every year. Um, right now, our office is full. Sorry to my coworkers that I'm here right now. <laughs> but um, what we do, you know, I like to say we try to make sure that no one loses their home for lack of information. And we're pulling together data from the city, the county, financial resources, and working through process-wise with people to see exactly what they can do. And when we see homeowners, we're trying to prevent the foreclosure so they can keep what they have. And we see many non-owners, people with land contracts, good or bad. We see people who need to file a probate case. We see tenants whose landlord may or may not pay the taxes, may or may not be doing other things landlords should do. And then we see everyone in between. And for the people who aren't the owner, our goal is to inform them of, of what's going on. They're at a disadvantaged standpoint here. They, they're not in control. But if there is an opportunity where that house is going to be foreclosed and going to be sold, we have created programs to help those people get their homes back. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that we would try to prepare them for the auction. You know, I like to say it's like the T-shirt, Detroit versus everybody. You live <laughs> in this home and you have raised your child there. You put a new roof on. Maybe you paid rent, whatever. You have no advantage in that auction over anyone else. And there are literally people who will bid on a home that they have never witnessed, never seen, never bothered to check. Maybe never even been in the neighborhood. Maybe never been to Detroit. They just read an article that Detroit is a comeback city and and they click. And so we recognize the injustice of that for years and we've helped people to try to get whatever advantages we could, but it was never truly fair. And so um, if I can, I just want to share about the most incredible goosebump causing (laughs) (laughs) beautiful program that we've uh, now had. We're now in our third year. Um, we, We call it the Right of Refusal Program with the City of Detroit or the Make It Home Program. And this program basically gives residents first dibs, the first right option to purchase back their home. Some key elements is that the resident is the one who can participate. The prices are low. Um, And so not all right of refusal programs are necessarily created equal, but this one is truly for the resident and it's a mutually beneficial thing. People get to become homeowners that that benefits themselves and the city and their neighborhood. Um, And we can avoid all of those uh, terrible outcomes of the auction and we can retain ownership for homeowners and we can create homeownership for people who may otherwise never have had a chance to get that. And in that way, we take this traumatic thing of a foreclosure and we actually turn it into a community benefit. Yeah. Uh, that program, that right of first refusal is one of many programs that uh, are, are kind of cropping up around around town to try to to try to mitigate the effects, I guess, of, of, of tax foreclosure. Uh, we read in the Free Press, though, recently about a county-based program that's kind of running into some trouble. It, it, it suggests that this is sometimes tougher to solve than, than we might think it is. Not really. Well, no? <laughs> it, it is very difficult to execute, but it just depends on what is your, your frame of reference and what is your 
your goal. You know, our clients are the resident. They're not investors. And um, we are, as an organization, we're willing to hold title and facilitate this process. Many of our clients are low income or extremely low income. So there are challenges there. But uh, we have an alignment of values um, with our, our clients, and so it can go very smoothly. It That's just, really important, that yeah. alignment of values. That's a really yeah. great phrase. And we don't purchase homes unless we're asked to do so by the person in it. We're not investors. We're not acquiring capital and property. We only do so upon the request. I meet resident renters that say, I don't want to own that house. I would never tell you you should want to own it. But if you do, then we would be very happy to help you. Yeah. Last year, we were able to get 520 occupied foreclosed homes that were headed for auction, pulled from the auction. The, the city of Detroit purchased them. And then uh, we, we with a, a lot of funders and other support, paid the city uh, for their, their purchase, and then we sold them back to the residents. And uh, we just recently have deeded out 200 and some homes already. We can't even do it one-on-one. -on -one. We have these mass deed ceremonies <laughs> because there's too many, there's which too is many. a beautiful yeah, cool. problem. And when those people pay back the purchase price, they replenish the fund. So the same fund that helped them buy their homes, when they pay back, they help their, their neighbors who will be in that situation this year. Yeah. You do uh, bring up a point, though. That Ted, you called when we had uh, <laughs> Allie yeah, Gross yeah. from the Free Press here talking about the, the, the county program. Uh, that, I, that idea of alignment of values, you would think that the county, which represents the people, should have that alignment all, all sorted out. This, these problems that were reported suggest they don't. Well, clearly not. I mean, they started with the premise that, you know, the, the investors would look at the homes, you know, what homes are have value, what neighborhoods have value, uh, and they would go from that point. And if they really wanted to keep people in their homes, they would start with, as Michelle said, working with the occupants. But the other piece to this that is so frustrating is that as we seek support for uh, the ROR program with the city, and I, I should add that we've pitched this for a number of years, and this administration is the first one that, that, that took us up on it. So I, I do give, give them thanks for that. Uh, but as we seek funding for that kind of a program, there is confusion. You know, you, you just said yourself a second ago, there are, there, it's ROR programs. Well, you know, and we go to funders <laughs> and they say, well, are, is yours like that one? Mm -hmm. You know, so it does, it does uh, muddy the waters a great deal. But that one's not worked well. We have, tying it to evictions, we have about seven eviction cases we're defending right now from investors that are trying to evict people from their homes that they were supposed to be trying to keep them in. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just to, to follow up with that point, you know, one of the great things about United Community Housing Coalition is that spectrum of services. And unfortunately, some of my clients that we were trying to help them buy their homes end up becoming someone that I refer over to landlord-tenant. And sometimes it's both. We have uh, ex-landlords who try to make an eviction of a house they no longer own. And... Um, you know, that person is on their way to becoming the owner themselves uh, through our program, but they still need eviction defense along the way. So it's really wonderful when we can just shoot them down the hall and um, <laughs> and uh, get them support there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the, uh, if you had to give sort of an overall assessment of how we're doing uh, dealing with housing insecurity here in Southeast Michigan in terms of not making it as big of a problem, of course, the goal would be that it's not a problem at all, but I don't know that any community has reached that. No. Uh, Ted, are we making the kind of progress we can, or are there things that we can do to sort of step on the gas and move faster? I, I think we're on the cusp of really doing some uh, super exciting things. Uh, Michelle had mentioned that we were able to get 600 homes in the last two years. 
We're aiming for a thousand this year. There's a need. For, there's a need. For, she's cringing at that. And her staff, staff <laughs> right, back in the office work. is saying, "Oh no," but you know, there's a need to raise money around that. And I, but I think that there's a will for that. Uh, the whole notion of getting a right to counsel uh, for a majority of the people in uh, going to eviction court uh, is super exciting, and I think that it, it would make uh, tremendous changes here. So I think there's a lot of, of really good stuff that we're on the cusp of, but whether we can get over the top, uh, we'll see. But we're going to keep fighting. Yeah. I just want to add to that. You know, I think that we do have to keep challenging our, our notions about what are what is this all for? You know, is the land bank for uh, investors or is it for demolition or is it for occupancy? Um, and so sometimes we infer those things, but they're not always stated. And we, we have to ask those questions. If we can get to a point where we agree that, Instead of punishing someone for being what we consider a squatter in a government-owned home, if we can find systems to turn them into an owner, as what we have with our Make It Home program, you know, I think that that we'll find these solutions will come more naturally. And they're always going to be difficult cases, but we have to get past this point where we have more homes, we have vacant homes and, and homeless people. You know, what can we do to incentivize that and to see that what helps? Uh, a person in need of housing actually helps us all. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's not just uh, vacant homes and homeless people. It's also people who have homes who live in substandard Absolutely. housing. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is really, really widespread here in Detroit that people don't always think about. Uh, landlords who don't take care of property, people who own property and have gotten to the point where they can no longer yes. take care of it. We need we need financing uh, to be available to homeowners. And then some of this is what I call like the radical paperwork where, you know, we just need to give someone the ownership interest so that they can make repairs knowing that it's them who will benefit from their labors. Right. So um, that's where ownership and equity come in. But, yeah, we certainly need more financing for people. You know, if you've lived in your home for 50 years but you make 700 a month, how are you going to repair the roof? Right. Right. Go ahead, with, with that in mind, uh, you know, an additional program that we've been able to roll out with the Quicken uh, Community Loan Foundation is with the properties we purchased last year. It's a small pilot program, but uh, to be able to do roofs and furnaces and, and things of that nature, big ticket items, uh, we're hopeful that we're going to be able to do about 40 to 50 or so with a combination of grants and zero interest loans and maybe have a model that can be used elsewhere. One of the problems with the, a lot of the the government programs is that you almost have to be middle class to be able to mm-hmm. to qualify for it, you know, credit scores and and uh, insurance even insurance in the city of Detroit is as a horrible uh, problem. So current on your taxes mm-hmm. very often. So a lot of the criteria that's around this just does not fit with low income populations. So we're hopeful that we're going to be able to do with this pilot program that we're doing for the Make It Home uh, project uh, something that will uh, be able to be replicated. Yeah, and, and to that point, you know, the repairs are a persistent issue. And uh, also utilities, you know, the, the cost of DTE and water. And water. And, yeah. um, you know, we can't get someone to pay us back for a very cheap home purchase if they don't have water and they don't have those other things. So we end up including those concerns in our, in our you know, client relationships. Uh, but it, it's a huge issue. Um, it's hard to even conserve your way into a lower bill these days with the rate structures that sure. we have. And I, I don't see that's getting better, frankly. Yeah. 
Okay, Ted Phillips, Executive Director of United Community Housing Coalition. Thanks for being here with us on Detroit today. Always great to see you. And Michelle Oberholzer, who's the director of UCHC's Tax Foreclosure Prevention Project. Always great to have you as well. Thank you. Please reach out if you want to help support uh, with labor. You know, knocking doors are fun. Absolutely. All hands on deck, right, at UCHC. Absolutely. Up next, we're going to talk with the guys from Under the Radar, Michigan, about the best spring break destinations here in the state of Michigan. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today 